Hello everyone, welcome to our episode 2 of the Art Possible Ohio Black History Month podcast. I'm so glad I'm listening today, and today we have a special, great, amazing guest, Regina Dwarfmeyer. Regina is from Cleveland, Ohio, and she's an impressionistic finger painter. Regina is so cool because literally we laughed the entire episode during the podcast. She talked about her life growing up in a Catholic school, how she also grew up in an era where Emmett Till's um, funeral was a big event. And she also talks about how her family was really supportive and sometimes not during her time um, learning to read and write as a low visioned child. Regina now is a really great painter and most of her work has been selected by the Cleveland Sight Center and by Art Possible Ohio's AEO show numerous times for numerous categories. I can't wait for you guys to listen to Regina and to learn not only what it means to have layers in one's painting, but layers in one's life. Hello everyone, I have today with me a special great artist. Her name is Regina Dorfmeyer. We actually met um, through my organization called Art Possible Ohio. She is from, well located currently in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm -hmm. Um, She is a really good painter and a very funny and kind hearted person. And I'm so glad that we met. I'm gonna have her talk about herself and say her hobbies, where she's from and about her art as well. All right. Hi, everybody. I'm Regina Dorfmeyer. Um, I'm born and bred in Cleveland, Ohio, home of rock and roll, land of the Cleves. And um, I'm 67 years old, though I, I am uh, childlike. I would not say childish. I have the heart of a teenager. Um, I love to sing. Music is my main hobby and what I thought I was going to be when I grew up. I thought I was going to be a singer until I stumbled uh, upon this painting thing. And um, other than hobbies, I love to uh, sing, dance, um, talk incessantly, (laughs) make people smile and laugh. Um, That gives me purpose if I can make you laugh. Yeah, we've been mm-hmm. smiling all morning. It's been really good. It's been good vibes this whole time. Thank you. Uh, my first question for you today is: I know that we discussed earlier that you have have myopic malic. Mal- I don't know if I get this word wrong. Myopic. <laughs> it's well now that I'm 67. It's I was born myopic, uh, but now it's called high myopic slash macular degeneration, right. non-age related. Yes, so what exactly is high myopic um, molecular degeneration <laughs> well, in there, your experience? Okay, well, they're two separate things. Okay. Okay, because I'm like a layer cake of, of low sight, um, uh, legally blind. Um, I was born really, really nearsighted. My, I was born in 1955. I was born a small <laughs> child in 1955. Uh, my mother had a dry birth. Back in the 50s, they used metal forceps on the temples to pull the baby out. My mother's water broke 10 days prior to my birth. I was born on the day Emmett Till 
had his had the trial. They had the trial for Emmett Till, uh-huh. September the twenty second, nineteen fifty five, and and my mother said they just put her out. She doesn't remember anything, but she ten days prior she was up on the wall scrubbing the walls, and she thought she had knocked the water down. And her sister's like, "You ding dong, your water broke." Uh-huh. <laughs> so you know, ten days later, I was born. Um, but my, I can you can see that my eyes were out of shape at birth, and I. Feel now, no doctor has told you know back then, doctors don't tell you anything. But um, I feel that, and you can see there's a bald spot right on my temple that I was born with. Mm-hmm. That the forceps had something to do with the odd shape of my eyes, right. that explains Mac, um, my myopia, it means you're nearsighted due to this odd elliptical shape of your eyeball. And it, as you grow, as the child grows, they doctors say that this starts at somewhere between the age of four and 14. However, my mother noticed my eyes were not right. Um, I would say she told me around one, one or two. I can remember my mother and father arguing about it at three, at two, three, you know, that early. Um, and I don't remember ever going going to a doctor until maybe I was four years old. Okay. Yeah. But so your mother knew your eyes were different. My mother were, knew. Yeah. She knew. Okay. But my father, I would say, was, you know, stubborn. Um, that might run into some of your other No, questions. I'm just looking. I'm just trying to figure yeah, out but, but really, that, that, it will run into your other questions. Right. But, yeah, I think that... Maybe culture, maybe because men are just stubborn, and I think maybe his vanity. Back then, they were both uh, social. They were trying to get um, a Carl Stokes, uh, the first black mayor, into office. They were trying to make changes, social changes back then. So he had. They had a, a group called the Champ Social Group, and these were the beautiful black people. And he didn't want, you know, a blind little blind child with. Mm. Thick glass. I, in my opinion, what I know of my father, mm-hmm. I would say that he put off my eyesight for, for his vanity. Okay. Yeah, that's what that's I would it. Say. That's really well, I'm not bitter. Yeah, <laughs> but I feel like your whole story is just filled with so much history in it because the Emmett Till trial happens yes. when you were born, and then talking about your parents and where they grew up, mm-hmm. and their experiences of trying to make social, social change as well. Exactly. Yeah, so it's like a lot that you were born into. Yes. Which is like really cool. That we just took in this stride. Most of us of that time took in the stride. But, you know, then I had this, like I said, layer cake. I had. You know, I'm, I'm had this sight problem, right. you know, and it just, you know, it, it, the only way it could be corrected is with these really thick, what they used to call pop bottle lens mm. glasses, you know, and it would, they're heavy. They make little dark marks on your nose and, mm. you know, it's just, it takes away from your trying to be cute. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of trying to be cute and beauty standards, um, so I know that we discussed when I first met you on a pre-interview about how you see the world yes. and how you think everything is so beautiful, even though you might, be, not, might not be able to see everything in detail. To this day, at the ripe old age of 67, I still say, oh, you're so pretty. Oh, uh-huh. you're so beautiful. And I'm like, okay, I'm still doing the same thing I did when I was a child. Yeah. You know, but I, that's the way I see people because everybody 
everybody's out of focus. <laughs> you know? And I, you and, know, they, well, that someone said that, Mon, was it Monet or Renoir? You know, they were impressionists and mm-hmm. they, everything's all fuzzy. And I heard that, that one of them had glaucoma. And I often wondered if their art changed after glaucoma because it kind of makes everybody look like a Vaseline lens to me, mm. you know, so I have to kind of squint and look different ways to right. see a person to really actually get their features. Yeah. yeah. So how do you, do you see me like right now a certain way? Well, you know, first thing I said was you were beautiful. Yeah. But yes, I mean, I'll, I see you, but I mean, I'm sure there's more of you to see. And that's what I tell people. I've got this sticky, wicked kind of sight that people, you know, I've had people that are really intelligent people say, oh, girl, you can see, you know, it's nothing wrong with you. You can see. How come you see that? But you can't see this, you know, because and I really a lot of times I don't know. But a lot of we have a people like me and there are others <laughs> like us is this kind of nearsightedness. We have a lot of things going on that's blocking our sight or altering our sight so that we think we see everything. But there may not be that may not be all there is to see. OK, for instance, we see floaters. There's little black things that float across. So one minute your face may look one way and then I look another way and it looks completely different. Um, Now that I have, I don't claim illness, now that uh, I have the appearance of macular degeneration, color has changed for me and I'm just like thanks with the Charlie Brown look uh-huh. because I'm trying to be an artist and uh-huh. now you're going to mess with my color right so now color blindness may be a lot of I noticed that I have to look at things what I think is purple or aubergine is actually brown mm. so I noticed those kind of things but as far as the way I see you mm. I see you with the oval shaped brown face I see you with um you look like you have like maybe yellow undertones yeah definitely i'm very bright <laughs> yeah but you do and but then I, I you know i see um like a, a, your lips you have beautiful shaped lips. oh thank you <laughs> so yeah i see beauty i don't see anything yeah i don't see wrong i think people who are uh who see clearly i think because i have i've really like good vision i'm yeah. lucky i'm lucky ones. oh my god <laughs> oh you don't see your hairs on my <laughs> Oh, but I'm just saying, it's like yeah. I never have any other, like, what I see is what I see. I don't have yeah. to think about it. Right. Like, you don't have to think about it, I think is really interesting. Yeah, like I wouldn't be able to see, like, a hair on your nose. Or if you had a zit, I wouldn't notice. Yeah. It would be filtered out. I just see the the top, the, the layers without the detail. Yeah. So that's the way I paint. I paint the same way. I just smudge my take my finger and smudge your shape I like uh-huh. as I'm looking at you now I can just take the brown and smudge it and smudge and just I paint like that I don't draw I just rub, feel all around until I get until I get it right right yeah and I think with me you know having a strong vision it's like I'm very what's it called um it's like I want to get everything perfect. I yeah, get, I want to get every single. Star yeah, I do too. Okay. Yeah, but it's it, for me. It's to a. It's like to no avail. I mean, I don't. 
I want to get it perfect, but I'm pulling my hair out of my head and I'm literally crying trying to make something perfect and I'm getting out of the way of the artistic. Right. You know, I don't, I'm not being artistic and it, it, it takes away. And because I'm self-taught, I, inter- I just know that. Like, you're trying too hard. You know you can't see that. Like, with perfect example, with this macular. When I got macular, everybody wants me to paint a house now. And I'm just like, lines are just like trippy as hell. I mean, a real optiker. It's fine. <laughs> you know, lines are wavy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I, d- I don't know what a straight line is yeah. anymore. You know, so I could pull my hair out of my head trying to make this house straight. And I'm, and then we live on a, ho- a house on a hill. Our house, you're talking about your stairs are steep. Uh-huh. Our house is kind of like on a hill and sideways anyway. So I always have to have a level. To make sure I'm painting things mm-hmm. right, so um, it, 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 it trying to be detailed is an act of futility for me. Okay. It's just easier for me to feel it, and I had to learn that right. because no, I had no art teacher to tell me, smack me upside my head, and say, you know, stop, <laughs> just paint, just draw, stop. But I that. think I think the idea of filling your art is really important too. Mm-hmm. I think I'm I'm really into like painting portraits with pastels, and I also paint a lot of lot. I'm scared media. of pastels. I gotta. <laughs> oh, I love them. I think they're great because it's it's still the act of constantly having to overlay and smudge things. Yes, I had to learn how to be patient. And yes. overlay, and now I'm learning layers on layers, and just yeah. go away, and you know, come and back come back, it, right? and look at it, and then yes, I'm learning. These are things that I'm learning, and it it feels so effing good to mm-hmm. discover stuff on your own. Right. But at the same time, it's so much harder. And at my age, I wait till now to decide to do stuff, as I say, for the Monet. <laughs> You know, so my goal is to be like, um, somebody told me your art's like, it, I think she was trying to throw some shade. Right. She was saying, yes, your art's so primitive. It's kind of like uh, Grandma Moses. So I, I, me not knowing too much about art, I had to go and research your Grandma right. Moses. So I'm like, well, she was a pretty cool chick. I mean, this woman waited until she was like, my eggs should become published. She was making money. People were asking her. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be the first black uh, grandma Moses of the 21st century. That's so cool. Yeah, that's what I just said. I'm glad that you're following your passion, though. Yes, you know, because it's it's so hard to live as a light in a world that you feel like you don't that you really don't belong in anyway, and to try to find your niche and find your fit and. To find out that I was supposed to, I thought I was going to be a cocktail singer. That I was going to be sitting <laughs> on a piano wow. with my legs crossed with a brandy snifter and a long cigarette talking about the man that got away. That was my, I can still see you doing that. <laughs> that was my dream. That was what I wanted to do. Uh-huh. But then this art thing, I, I remember I was with the nuns. I... <laughs> I had this big, my first art project that I did, I had this big yellow poster that my mother gave me. And my mother had taught me how to do the basics, my mother and my aunt. She taught me how to make a woman. She taught me how to make a triangle in a three dimension and a cube three dimension and a circle and dimension. And she taught me perspective a little bit. But because I had poor sight, it was just all messed up and I couldn't figure it out. And one day I got these... Um, 
I think they were crayons or pencils or something. I did more shading and rubbing and smudging than anything, but it was supposed to be this naked lady and she was draped in some kind of cloth and she was stepping in water. And to this day, I was so proud of that painting, but I noticed that my rocks, I didn't know how to make rocks not look like sponges. You know, I couldn't make, didn't know how to make things hard instead of knowing that they're soft. And that just pissed me off to no end. And I was at the, I think I was maybe 13. I go to Sacred Heart Academy and I hand them this and they're like, nah, you should stick to singing. They said, try again. (laughs) And it wasn't until I started working at the Cleveland Sight Center that a woman said, you're an artist. I'm like, shut up. And she's like, no, no, you're an artist. And the, and then that's how I came. That, and then now I'm here with you. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a great story. Luckily, I think growing my mom, my grandmother always pushed the idea of me being like, I, like I always knew I loved art. Yeah. Like, my grandmother always told me, like, you're an artist. You know, I always knew that I was five years old. Yeah. That I was meant to paint and really and be in the artistic world. I tried like uh, majoring biology in college. Yeah. I tried other things, yeah. but art always called my name called every your time. Name. And it's like if I ignore that part of myself, then I I just didn't feel right. Yeah, you know, I felt really out of alignment. So yeah, I'm happy that you found your artistic. Yeah, self. well, I felt yeah because I felt worthless. I felt like there every job I tried, and I've tried so many dumb jobs yeah. and did so much for so little. And you know, everybody's like, "Oh, you're customer service. You're really good at making people feel good about themselves." But I, I, and, and that works for temporary, but I needed to create something, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have any children, so I didn't create a child, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm not a songwriter, so I couldn't create a song. I just know how to deliver one. And it, to be able to have somebody tell me, you know what, you make people feel something when you paint. That's when I said, oh, mm-hmm. I've got to grab all of this because I don't know how to do anything else. Mm-hmm. I really don't. In my heart, I don't feel that I'm good at anything else but singing and painting. Yeah. And if I could sing, be a singing painter, I would. <laughs> Why can't you be a singing painter? You well, I'm thinking anything. now with YouTube, I might be able to. Yeah. You know, because they have a singing vegan. She goes around making vegan meals and singing the whole time. <laughs> I'm like, well, I can do that painting. Yes, you can do anything you just want to do. make up songs and just sing and paint. Yeah. Because I'm always making up rap songs in my head with an operatic voice. So, <laughs> so I can do that and paint. Uh-huh. Yeah, clothes even. I can do it with my clothes on. Because I usually paint. <laughs> oh, I'm like, yeah. In my head, I was like, oh, naked? I was like, yeah. Nah. <laughs> I can put my clothes on and do it. Or barefoot. I'll be barefoot. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. This is great. So, um, the next question was, do you think, is there any stigma around having low vision at all? With you being a black female? or That was a hard one. Yeah. Um, because, you know, everything... I, I think we have so many microaggressions that they a lot of them they just go over my head you know I sometimes I don't know if that guy didn't want to kiss me because I had these big thick glasses on or if because he just happened to be white and I was black with big thick glasses on Mm. you know so I mean um or you know and a lot of aggressions that were unfortunately I would I've had aggressions terrible aggressions against me by people who are not black, but I believe that the the majority that had to do with my sight came from people who look like me. 
they came not from little white the little white kids that with that saw me with the thick glasses because when we went to the sight saving school there were albinos there were kids that were white there were all kinds of kids in our class they all had the little thick glasses and you know, we come out of our class and the regular kids would go, sight saver, sight saver. <laughs> and, the, and they were all black. I never had a little white kid call me sight saver. <laughs> they did sight saver? Yeah, because we were going to a sight saving. That's all they had back then. Oh, okay. All they had for people like us who were not totally blind, that we were in this funny thing. And it was like... People who were like preemies, albinos, people like me, they were all low, low vision. We needed large type. Uh, I had these big, large type edition encyclopedias. I'm telling you, they were big as me. And I would carry these things back and forth. Oh, my God. I still have them to this day. We use them as end tables. Oh, my <laughs> God. Swear. They're that big. Yeah. I can't even imagine. I'm like the ones I had when I was in college were thick. Yeah, they were. They were big. They were big type, large type edition, and they had. I had the. My mother got me the um, World Encyclopedia large type edition and the Negro Heritage Library large type large type edition, Mm -hmm. and they were beautiful in color, and the, the print was so big. And then I remember my mother used to score my paper for me because they didn't have paper like that. It wasn't until I got to the site, the Cleveland. Side Center that I even saw a pre-scored paper. My mother had to get a ruler and put the lines in the paper because I, when you're low vision, you if you see things big, you also draw and write big. So I draw my name Regina. By the time I get to you know the G, it's I don't have any more room. Right. So she had to score my paper, and I, we would make things twice as big as everyone else. Okay. And then learn how to, you know, draw and 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 write really neatly as possible because okay. we needed to see it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, your mom played a huge role in your life in terms of your low vision, like trying to help you out a lot. Yes. Well, she was. You know, they didn't have like a Head Start or. Um, you know, those kind of, I think we only had first grade. We may have had kindergarten, I don't remember. But yeah, my mother did everything as far as um, even with the art. I remember she used to, I'd get the coloring books and she would take the colors that she thought they should be and she'd make a little coloring mark in the coloring book and then she would draw around the lines so I wouldn't go outside of the lines. Mm. And I remember my little girlfriend, she would just like go all outside the lines and be all wild and stuff and it just Oh, I was just infuriated. It just infuriated me. And why would she do that? When after my mother spent so much time trying to make it, you know, and teach me the colors and teach me where it's supposed to go. And now when I look back on that, you know, why isn't Amy the artist? Because she was bold enough to go outside the lines and me. I did what my mother said and stayed inside the lines, you know. But it taught me. She taught me a lot. She taught me and color. She taught me style. Mm. She taught me how to, you know, be fabulous on little, you know? Mm. Um, and uh, she was my first art teacher. So yeah, my mother had played a, a great role and in my sight. I mean, because she said, I mean, she told me that the reason she knew I couldn't see is because I would say, oh, mommy, that, that isn't he handsome? Isn't she pretty? And some of the people would be less than, and she would be, oh, my poor baby, I got to get her to the eye doctor right away. So, yeah, I would say that she... 
played a good part of paying attention Goodness. to <laughs> That is so crazy. But at least you just saw beauty whenever you went. Yeah. I feel like for me, it's like I can see everything. So like I try to always have like strong opinions about what I'm seeing. Yes, yes. You know, when it comes to me dating people, I date yes. for like looks. Yes. First yeah, and yeah. Like, oh, he's so cute. He's so cute. And then like the closer he would get, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> That is so cool. No, not really. He's nice, though. Yeah, that, that's what matters. That's at least a good person that's called him. And far so. away, he was cute. So. Right. Keep him distant the whole yeah. time when dating him, and then they'll work out. And from afar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, my next question was so you said when you were in school, you went to like a low or um sorry, what was the school called well it was called a regular school it's called here in cleveland was called east madison if okay. you, anybody knows there's my age they had a school off of addison off of st Clair, called east madison it's just a regular i think it was a grade school but they had one room designated for low vision blind kids you oh, know just one room yes one room and we were all different grades we we're all different ages and we all and now we're older we hooked up at i keep plug in the Cleveland Site Center. Uh-huh. Uh, that's the Cleveland Site Center, 1909. Uh-huh. <laughs> 101st, I think. Uh-huh. But uh, they're um, um, part of the Federation for the Blind. and uh, the, Well, no, I'm sorry, the, the uh, Society for the Blind. Society for the Blind. Oh. So um, I, they are very instrumental in, in becoming an artist and my growth and understanding what it means to be low vision and everything. But yeah, uh, going to school, it was just that one class, the sight saving class. And I would, um, I hated the stigma that it offered, so I would skip class. Oh. And my kid, my girlfriends went to St. Aloysius, they were Catholic. And my uncle had just been ordained the second black priest in Cleveland, so I should be Catholic. So <laughs> I'm going to this sight saving school. I quit. I would cut the sight saving school and go to mass every day, and then go to until <laughs> the nuns were like, you know, yeah, you don't you, belong here. <laughs> you, you preferred mass over your yes, other school. I go to mass, and then you go to school, and then. <laughs> so, but you weren't. You weren't but I got caught. Yeah, no, yeah, I wasn't enrolled. <laughs> That's wow. So my mother's, you know, I didn't, I got a whipping for anything, uh, but not for stuff like that. You know, she was like, oh, okay, so you don't like to go to the sight saving school. Like, uh-uh, I'm Catholic. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that means you got to get baptized, and you got to do this, and you got to do that, and then you still want, mm hmm. I do anything to keep from going to the sight saving school. Because of the sigma. I'd rather be a black Catholic <laughs> than a sight saver. Right. You know, <laughs> because, wow. you know, and back in that, and I'm talking, I know I'm being ageist, I'm being so many things, but from my time, our parish there in Glenville, the parish, would see, you're from the southern part of Ohio, but Glenville is a, a it's a, a, used to be a really prominent district in Cleveland, mm-hmm. um, was 105th in St. Clair, all of those houses. There were a lot of Jewish and black people living in the community. It was until the riots in the 60s. And then um, that area isn't, you know, the way it used to be. The riots in the, uh, 68. And, mm-hmm. I read your history. Google it. But anyway, um, that parish 
um, was very special, was right next door to Glenville High School. And we had the YMYWCA um, right there on St. Clair. We had the CLIO Hall. It was a community. And instead of feeling like this sight saver, I, you know, I had a, I was part of something to me that was more important. I got introduced to my beautiful nuns, the Ursuline nuns of Sacred Heart, and they were the ones that really didn't care if I had thick glasses, and they didn't care that I was different from everybody else. And um, Sister Dorothy Kazel, well, that that was later on, but she she was killed in El Salvador. She's uh, famous for being raped and slaughtered in El Salvador, but. We, these sisters, these nuns were the cool nuns. They were the nuns of the 60s. They were nuns of so, for social justice, and they were cool. And so it seemed that God took me out of that situation of this, you know, I, I had enough going against me without having to do this blind thing. But the only thing is the challenges were harder because, you know, the Catholic school didn't cater or didn't know how to cater to low vision kids. Right. Where the, where the sight saving class had the big magnifiers and the large type print. And I, I, I had tools the um, stigma, the it was so stern, um, the rigidness. It, it, it was just not a freeing. It wasn't. It didn't fit my soul. Right. It wasn't well with my soul. So becoming a Catholic and all of that grandiose. They were still speaking Latin back then, and and, and everything. Uh, the church was so beautiful. Everything was so beautiful um, until they stole Saint. Until they took Saint Christopher Sainthood away from him, then I, I left the church and told them they, where they could all go. But, <laughs> but um, that was a, a place an escape for me to get away from the sight uh, the the sight saving class and find my creativity. I think I found it in the Catholic Church. I feel like it's so interesting. I always imagine the Catholic Church. I'm, I'm Christian, yeah. but like I've seen as TV, rigid, as very rigid. Yeah, nuns. Yeah. Oh, they were. So, we had rigid ones, but I had the coolest nuns because they were just coming from the '60s, mm. and they were getting ready to take off their long robes. They were getting. And they had their little cute dresses on, and they were get trying to. They were listening to people like Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel, and listening to like Joan Baez and We Shall Overcome and Cat Stevens. They were listening to these folk folk songs were big then for white young white people. This these folk songs kind of connected them to the social injustices, which I don't know, maybe it was the Oreo cookie in me. I don't know, but I thought look to them, I looked up to them, and they well, my mother had to work two jobs and you know, oh that they were like my second family. Right. I, I skipped over a part. I had my, eventually my mother left my father. Mm. Um, you know, after he, you know, he did things that let my mother know that he did not, he was a bully. Okay. He was a bully to okay. me and to my mother. Okay. So um, that was another saving grace is our house caught on fire. She, to her dying day, she thought that he set the house on fire for insurance purposes. Uh -huh. So she, that was her out to get away from him. So she took me and moved me to be with my grandparents. My grandparents lived off of St. Clair. 
from there, that's how it just things transition. My grandfather was a jazz musician. I come home from school. He was playing his piano. He had all his dudes. He had his own band. It's called Louis Bolden and the Gut Bucket Barons. He had his own band. And I come down the street. You could hear his music playing all the way down the street. Everybody knew my papa. So art was just like it was destined for me to learn about different kinds of music, which introduced me to different kinds of art. I um, I wouldn't have known, Joni Mitchell, it was one of my, I call her Auntie Joni. She's my favorite musician, and if you ever see her artwork, she has, she has artwork in a gallery. And I noticed that music and art, they go together. They do, they really do. I'm so sorry I'm going on and on. I no, have just, so much to say because like every little road l led to something else that led me to you sitting in. Yeah. You know? I think, I think, you know, our lives are all destined and they're all destined to go to one destination. Yeah. Like, I feel like you can make a choice to either avoid destination, but at some point you're going to have to come back to it because exactly. you can't avoid who you really are. It's, you can't. It keeps pulling you back. Yeah. And I have um, a musician friend. Her name is Valerie June. And she's I, she's a light. You know, I found it's like in my old age, I'm finding my celestial people that I'm supposed to surround myself yes. around. Yes. And it's like um, I'm not religious for reasons that that would take a book. But <laughs> I, I call myself one of God's bad kids. You know, it's like we got her. And then, oh, yeah. And there's Regina. <laughs> Well, she could paint and sing, you know. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, I wouldn't trust her with it. <laughs> yeah, no, but but your story is great. I love listening to you talk about your life and how everything just plays a huge Thank role you. together. It's all interwoven. Into yeah, I try to keep thing. like not digress and try to bring them back but home. It's, yeah, it's a lot. So I I get that. <laughs> well, we're going to move on to our next question. Um, so do you disclose your vision impairment to your friends, teachers, people at work, or any other environments, or people just kind of assume, or how does that work? When I, when I was a child, they couldn't help assume because I had these thick glasses. Right. That I was going to show you. I had these pop bottle lens, that they, that's what they would call them. So when I was a kid, I couldn't avoid that. Right. Um, but as soon as I could, I tried to get contacts. And doctors would discourage my mother from getting me contacts because he, they said I was so high strung that I wouldn't be able to keep this foreign object in my eye. And, but when you're determined, you're determined. Mm -hmm. And um, I, you know, I just got tired of, yeah, I, I thought I could get more play, more guys taken seriously. I wouldn't have to rely upon being a woman so much. People could see in my eyes and see me as a person if I didn't have these thick glasses on. Right. And so I was determined I was going to wear contacts. And it, to the point where I was afraid, you know how black girls are afraid to, at one time we didn't want to let anybody see our natural hair. And if we fuck somebody come, I'm busy putting my wig on. <laughs> you know what I mean? That me this morning. That's what, well, yeah, that's what, how I feel about my contacts. I have right. these thick glasses. Somebody come to the door, I got to hurry up, put my contacts on, or I have to snatch off my glasses, and then I can't see them. Oh. You know, and I'm trying to, you know. <laughs> I don't oh know where goodness. they basically are. It's and, and that's a night blindness too. Con oh, I'm, so sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. My phone is saying. Go ahead. Contrast. That is a big thing. I mean, if you're brown and you're standing in front of a brown. You become camouflaged to me. You literally could stand still and I would not see you. Right. You know, so it's that kind of 
sight that I have or lack thereof. Right. So when people come to the door, I'm like, just answer the door. I don't have my contacts in, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so we're moving on to the next question. Did that answer that? that no, it definitely did. And it makes a lot of sense, though. I feel like yeah. when you try to hide a part of yourself, it's yes. like it just causes more stress in the end. And it, and it lets you can't be free like you want to be. Because if I'm going to be like wearing dreadlocks and be free, how can I be free when I have to hide behind a, a scar or hide behind, you know, the thick glasses or, you know, I'm afraid for people to see me. This is how I am. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's. Yeah. I, if I'm going to be natural this way, I should be natural. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. That's and cool. I remember my first husband, I had thick glasses when I met my first husband. He looked kind of like Stevie Wonder. He was kind of cute. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I had thick glasses. He still liked me when I was cute, though. I had a little <laughs> going on. But you know, but this and this man, I said, my husband, you know, I would never let him see me with my thick glasses now that I have contacts. And how realistic is that? Yeah, it's not. So he looks at me in the morning with slobber and thick glasses and nappy hair, and he still kisses me anyway. And I'm just like, wow. And I feel like if he sees you in that light, yeah. so it still like kisses you in the light. How blind I mean, is he? Easy. No. <laughs> Because he really loves you for who yeah. you are and not just for your looks, which is well, like, thank all you. Out, yeah, you know? that is, that is. He does have astigmatism, but I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I, I hope that he feels that way. Yeah. yeah. So we'll move on. Okay, mm-hmm. so my last question for you today is How can society do a better job of creating environments that are easier for low vision people to adapt to? Well, some of the things I mentioned already, and I will plug once again the Cleveland Sight Center. Yeah. Um, we need more centers like that you you need education 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 right. when people look at me they don't see a blind person I usually carry uh, when I'm not with my husband I have a white cane it's a, a support cane but it's also a cane that's a white cane with a red tip that lets you know that I'm low vision and that means either help me or get out my way that's the way I tell lots of people who are low vision. You've got that cane. People know to either back up mm. or ask if you need any help. Hold the door for you. But it's just because you, you, you don't wear a T-shirt that says, hey, I'm low vision to the point where I could either run you down or I could fall down or I don't think I'm being rude. I don't see you. Right. <laughs> you right. Know? So we even had, I used to work at the site center and somebody made some little cards and little bands that said, hey, I'm low vision. But, you know, who cares? Right. Until you run into them or you fall down. They say, or didn't you see that? I, my mother used to say, can't you see that? I'm like. If I could, I would have <laughs> Exactly. So, yeah, it's that we're in that funny place where you wouldn't know we were blind until something happens. Mm-hmm. You know, so we were that kind of low vision. And I don't call it blind unless I'm being funny or I need to play the. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but I say I'm low vision. That's okay. what I say. And then, you know, but I had my girlfriend yell at me, Carol, you know you see me. I'm like, I hear you, but you I didn't see you until you got closer and closer and closer. Yeah. yeah. That makes you know? a lot of sense. Yeah. This is a great conversation we've had Thank today. You. Thank you. I'm gonna close out now. Did you wanna end with saying anything else or say when people can find you like a Instagram, people can find you or Facebook? Oh or? yes. Well, um you can find me at Facebook. Facebook and you can find me at 
oh boy, Red Bubble, Queen Jeannie, 1955. And you can find me at my Fine Arts America website, which is R-E-G-I-N-A dash D-O-R-F-M-E-Y-E-R dot pixels dot com. And um, my little company, my little paint company is called A Touch of Red by Regina E. Dorfmeyer. That's so cute. <laughs> it's a long URL code. I but know. I think it's so cute, though. Well, thank you so much. You're because welcome. I do. I use my, I'm a finger painter, you guys. I love digital because digital, you can zoom in and zoom out, and I can really get as detailed as I could get. Mm -hmm. But my favorite thing to do is paint with my fingers. And I'm telling you guys, and when you have a, one of my paintings, they're three-dimensional and they're like a piece of furniture. And when you touch, you can touch them. They're, they come alive and the colors are vibrant. So buy them. They're not too much. So buy them. Yes, of course. <laughs> buy the paintings, guys. Well, Regina, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. All right.